The following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll give you a moment to look for it in your own Bibles. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well good evening. My name is Aaron and it's my privilege to serve here as the vicar of St Nick's. Let me take this opportunity to add my own welcome to that of Philip's to our service tonight and to you from wherever you may be joining us. The story is told of an incident that took place in Assam in northern India over a hundred years ago following the great Welsh revival at the turn of the 20th century. Inspired by the Holy Spirit and like those in the early church, women and men went out from across Wales to the United States and then beyond, filled with the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. One group travelled as far as northern India and shared their faith with the hill people of the Garo tribe, where a man called Noxeng came to faith with his wife and his two children. His faith 
proved contagious. And through him and his family, many of the villagers started to turn to Christ and to believe in Jesus. This led to a confrontation with the elder of the village who summoned Noxeng and his family to a full whole village meeting and there demanded that Noxeng recant and give up his faith or face execution. Noxeng refused and before the whole village gave his response to that demanded by the village elder. I have decided to follow Jesus, Noxeng said. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Enraged at Noxeng's refusal, the village elder ordered that his two children be killed. With both boys now dead in front of him. Noxeng was asked again by the village elder to deny his faith or to lose his wife as he had lost his children. None of the other villagers gathered spoke up in his favour. Noxeng again refused to deny his faith and said Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Noxegan's wife was killed before him. The elder turned to Noxeng and said he would give him one final chance to recant his faith. Again, Noxeng refused. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back, he said. Noxeng refused to deny his faith and as a result lost his life. Soon after, the village elder who had ordered his killing and that of Noxeng's family himself came to faith in Jesus Christ. The example of Noxeng, the depth of his faith and the, his commitment to this as yet unknown God led the elder to a journey to Christ which the rest of the village soon followed. To this day, Christianity remains the main religion of the Goro people. And Noxeng's words became part of the village's collective memory. And they were turned into a song, to a tune known as a psalm. In 1950s, the song entered the American hymnal and was used in revival meetings across the US, not least in those led by Billy Graham and it's a song that we will sing later tonight as we respond to our reading and the reason we're going to sing that song is because we come to the end of 1 Peter a letter originally written 
to the communities of Christians in the Black Sea coastal area who faced opposition and persecution for their faith. As we have heard over the past weeks from Brandon and Maeve and Philip, one of the main themes of the letter of 1 Peter is the suffering which was being endured by the churches in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia and in Bithynia, all of whom were facing persecution on account of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now the title of our sermon series, Hope for Exiles, comes from the opening verses of this letter of 1 Peter, which he addresses to God's elect, to the exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And throughout the letter, as we've seen over these past weeks, Peter provides comfort, hope and wisdom as he counsels the churches on how to stand firm in the face of trial. And it's that theme that we hear again tonight in our reading, in chapter 5, in verses 7 to 11. But it's not where our reading begins. Our reading opens tonight with instructions not just on how Christians should relate to the world, but rather on how they should relate to one another as a worshipping community. So let's turn to our text now. The first four verses of chapter 5 begin with the instruction to the elders of the churches Peter is writing to. And the imagery he uses when addressing the elders is a familiar one. It's the image of the shepherd. He writes to them, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Tend to your flock that is entrusted to you. As Steve Griffiths notes in his study of this passage, this is such a lovely instruction for Peter to give because it draws our minds back to the commissioning he himself received from the risen Christ on the seashore when Jesus restored Peter from the brokenness of his denial. And where we read in John's Gospel, Jesus saying to Peter, Tend my lambs, feed my sheep. So here is Peter, of whom so much has been asked by Christ, now passing on that mantle of leadership to those who he refers as his fellow elders. It's a deeply intimate moment of sharing of ministry. And this image of elders as shepherds is also a reminder to us of the status of shepherds. It's not to be one, says Peter, which lords it over others, but one which is a continual reminder to serve this is not a promotion for material gain uh, in the eyes of the world, but rather an instruction to live in the world anew, to give up earthly ambition for spiritual reward rooted in the service of others. 
Now, in the Roman world, shepherds were regarded as outsiders. They were exiled from the upper class. Uh, they were regarded as dirty, smelly people. It was not a role to aspire to. Few people grew up wanting to be a shepherd. So the call to be a shepherd of the flock of God is a call away from status to one of service. As one biblical scholar has noted, writing in a global biblical commentary and who herself served as a shepherdess in her own community, the shepherd leads from behind, allowing and enabling the flock to go and explore whilst at the same time being charged with the responsibility of caring for the sheep individually and the flock as a whole. And with these descriptions before us, one of the questions uh, that may be begged is, if this is what a shepherd is, who on earth would want to be a shepherd or an elder? Earlier this week, I celebrated my three-year anniversary since my licensing here as the Vicar of St Nick's. Now, when I say celebrated, uh, what I actually mean was that on that day, I had a number of meetings, uh, wrote a number of emails and had a number of Zoom calls. But one of the calls that day was a real standout joy because it involved six people from this church who later this year will begin their training for ordination to priesthood in the Church of England. Uh, now in a moment or perhaps now the picture will come up on the screen of our, our Zoom call and you may recognise some of those in that picture. Uh, Mary, Sarah, Rachel, Jenny, Sarah and Ben. And that Zoom call was for me a reminder of all that God has been doing in our lives as a community here at St Nick's. Part of the joy that comes from leading from behind is seeing people flourish in their discipleship, providing opportunity for spiritual gifts to grow, looking for the flourishing of all of God's people in whatever sphere they are called to serve. Yes, we rejoice rightly with those in their call to priesthood, but it is not only those who are called as shepherds with whom we will rejoice. In verses 5 to 6, Peter goes on from addressing the elders to addressing the church as a whole. All of you, he says, ought to clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. It's an instruction for churches to act with a common endeavour, with a shared purpose of mutual humility, grounded constantly in seeking the will of God together for the community of which we are part, of respecting one another's call, wherever God may be calling us, to live out our discipleship and in humility to recognise one another's gifts, to be used in the service of God and to be a blessing to the world. And in our context here in Durham, 
the charge to the shepherd, the charge to shepherd the flock of God at St. Nick's is a shared charge. It's one that's been given into the care of the clergy, the wardens, the PCC. And my friends, if we are to be faithful in discharging that care, uh, all of us in that, those positions of leadership and eldership need your prayers. I certainly need your prayers. As we seek together to lead and serve not only our congregations who gather at Nick's for worship, but also the people of the parish we are called to serve. Not least during this time when we seek God's guidance on what shape our church will need to be over the coming weeks and months. So having considered how Christians should relate to one another as a community, Peter then returns in our text to the main theme of his letter in the challenge and the challenges faced by Christians. So we read uh, in verses 7 to 11, Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And he continues, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Last week in his sermon, on chapter 4 of our 1 Peter. Philip spoke of Christ's suffering and recalled the final journey that Jesus would have taken with his disciples, that final journey to Jerusalem. And just as Jesus set his face to Jerusalem and walked the way of the cross that led to Golgotha and ultimately to his resurrection, so Peter's encouragement to the church, both then and also now, is to set our faces to the new Jerusalem, to fix our eyes on the path before us where God calls each of us as his disciples, to keep to the road which leads to the place where the reign of Christ will be fully realised, to stand firm, be steadfast, no turning back, no turning back. Peter recognises in these instructions that there's a temptation in the midst of anxiety and worry to give in to what can seem like overwhelming circumstances or indeed very real problems. So his counsel for his readers to those in those churches is to cast all their anxiety 
on God. And it's an instruction that is both a practical and spiritual response to the challenges faced by those churches. And it's an instruction that still holds true for us today in a time marked by anxiety and struggle. Over the coming weeks, as we begin to transition out of lockdown, both as a church and as a society, many anxieties will remain. The continuing legacy of this crisis is yet to be realised fully, and it's likely we'll be living with its after-effects economically, educationally, and on with as yet unknown impact on physical and mental health. The echoes of COVID-19 are likely to resound in the lives of many of us for some time to come, as we continue to lament, grieve and mourn, not least for those we have lost. And in the midst of those anxiety and challenges, Peter's instruction remains clear. To cast all of those anxieties on the God who loves us and cares for us. To bring all of our suffering to him. And in him to find the strength not only to carry on, but also to resist. To resist, to, to resist despair. To become a community of resistance. A community of resistance and hope. Grounded in a faith which urges us ever onwards. No turning back. No turning back. And if tonight you feel yourself in a place where you are tempted to despair or where anxiety overwhelms, can I invite you to get in touch with us through using the button on Facebook, sending us an email. Just get in touch so that we can come alongside and pray with you and enable you to cast those cares and those anxieties upon God. Because that God not only stands alongside us in our sufferings, but through the person of Jesus Christ knows intimately what it is to suffer. It is a suffering he endured only through the knowledge of his Father's love. So let us, please, today, if that's you, share with you that knowledge of God's love for you tonight. So whatever the nature of the challenges we will face, as individuals, as a church, or as a society, Peter reminds us that our strength in the fight comes from standing firm in the gift of faith we have received. And through that resistance, through resisting suffering, and through the love of Jesus, the mercy of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will become a community that overcomes. I began uh, this reflection with the story of Noxang, which took place in India uh, about 150 years ago. And I want to end tonight with another story, again from northern India, but a different one. One of Junae and Bindu Mudu from a much more recent time. Three weeks ago tonight, on the 7th of June, 
Kande uh, Jinde Mudu, a 27-year-old man uh, who converted to Christianity four years ago, was murdered in Bari village in Jharkhand in India. His family was the only Christian family in the village and faced local opposition and threats to their lives, including a violent attack in their home two years ago in 2018. June faced regular opposition from the local community after his conversion to Christianity and was often called to village meetings to explain his faith, which was then derided by others. His wife, Bindu, and the couple's two daughters, who are one and three years old, were forced to flee for their lives after June's murder. The attack took place at approximately 8pm. June and Bindu had finished their dinner and had gathered for family prayer when they heard a banging on the front door. A group of six to eight men armed with sharp weapons and pistols demanded that June come outside. The men eventually broke down the door and dragged him outside as Bindu pleaded for her husband's love. Bindu later said that after hearing the men at the front door, her husband June knew that their lives were in danger. He told his wife that he might be killed, but assured her to remain strong and to never give up her faith in Jesus, even if they killed him. June's body was discovered three weeks ago at 10pm on the road that led to the village by his younger brother. After her husband's funeral, Bindu's father encouraged her to forsake her religion, to deny it and to recant so that she could stay alive. She responded, I will live for Jesus. I will die for Jesus. But I will never turn back. Let's pray together. Father God, giver of all good things, increase in us this night that gift of faith, that we may rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and be steadfast in resisting any attempt to steal the joy and purpose that comes from knowing you, Jesus Christ our Lord, as our comforter and our God. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.